Welcome to this podcast episode of Narcissists in Divorce, The Narcissist Trap. I'm Dr. Supriya McKenna. I'm a former family doctor, but my life's true work is working with people who have fallen prey to narcissistic relationships of any kind. But I'm particularly busy in the area of divorce. Over the last few years, I've been very proud to become an Amazon best-selling author on the subject of narcissism, and my brand new book, Narcissists in Divorce, From Love Locked to Leaving, is out right now on Amazon, as an audiobook, in paperback, and on Kindle. That's the first book in the Narcissists in Divorce series, and the follow-on to that will be out in the late summer, and is called From Leaving to Liberty. And please do note that these books and this podcast are equally applicable to anyone leaving a serious intimate relationship with a narcissist, whether they are married or not. I also have a book out called The Narcissist Trap, The Mind-Bending Pull of the Great Pretenders. And that book might be useful in helping the people around you who are supporting you to understand more about what happened to you and about narcissism generally. I'm also the co-author with British divorce lawyer Karen Walker of Narcissism and Family Law, a practitioner's guide. And between us, Karen and I have trained thousands of family law professionals in narcissistic personality disorder, including judges, lawyers, mediators and social workers. For further narcissism resources from me, please do visit thelifedoctor.org or drsapria.com. And that web address has the doctor fully spelled out. Let's talk about something that's absolutely key to to narcissism. Um, And it's one of the things that people always ask me when they start their divorce off. They're never sure whether their partner is a narcissist or not. That seems to be the case. They think they might be, but they're not completely sure. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that I think is it's important for them to look at is whether they've been through the cycle of of love bombing and devaluation and discard. It's called the idealized devalue discard cycle. And um, I wondered if you could talk a bit about that. It is a cycle and it will start in terms of the spouse being placed on an absolute pedestal. They are the soulmate, the most wonderful person that they could have met. And it happens very quickly. I think one of the things to be really wary of is if you meet a new partner who's, who seems to be moving at like 100 miles an hour in terms of making you feel like you are the person they want to spend the rest of their life with. And they've made that decision by the end of the first course over the first dinner that you've had almost you know what I mean it's it's really quick and it's really intense and it's a bit too much there will be flowers there will be gestures they will contact Mm. you first thing in the morning and last thing at night they will want to be omnipresent and they will they will mirror everything that you're interested in so suddenly you've met somebody who's got all the same interests as you Mm. he seems to be absolutely on the same path as you and that you wonder how you've been through life without this person by your side and you're overwhelmed by the generosity and the 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 gestures Mm. that that go with it and it's almost intoxifying it's so intense I mean that it is that being swept off your feet isn't it? it 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 really is that you, you talked about sort of the gestures and, and you know, the flowers, et cetera, and all of those things. But have you heard of the five languages of love? No, I haven't. So it's really fascinating. So basically, the idea is that everybody has 
preferred ways of expressing love, two or three preferred ways of, of expressing love. And there are five general ones. So um, there's touch, there's time, um, there's acts of service, um, there's giving gifts, and there's words of affirmation. So touch, obviously, okay. stroking someone's hair, holding their hand, etc. Time, while spending mm. lots of time with them. Um, acts of service. So, you know, let me put the bins out for you. Let me take the frost off your frozen windshield in the morning as I'm going past. Let me heat, warm your car up before you get yeah. into it. Gifts, obviously, um, you know, flowers, gifts, all of that. And words of affirmation. So you look beautiful. You're wonderful. I love you. All of those things. So those are the different love languages. And most people have two or three preferred ones, um, usually two that they really prefer and then one that they sort of prefer a bit. Most people aren't so bothered about the, the last two. And the narcissist will quickly work that out. So they will work out what your love languages are, okay. um, the ones that you prefer, and they will tailor their love bombing to your love language. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting because their love bombing will look different with different partners if the different partners have different love languages. Okay. They might be spending loads and loads of time with one partner, day and night, never leaving their side. Um, but then that might not be important to the, the next partner. And, and so their love bombing might look very different. It might be that they're showering with them with gifts, whereas the first partner didn't really care about gifts and just wanted the time. So, so that's important to realise, I think. It's, it, it's quite a good thing to actually think about what your love languages are and um, and when you're thinking about whether you were love bombed, were they in the original phase, in, in the initial phase, were they what the, the narcissist was catering to? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And then, of course, with time, as we know, because we're going to talk about this in, in a second, you go on to that devalue stage and those things will be ripped away from you. So the touch or the time or the acts of service or the gifts or the words of affirmation, whatever your special ones were, they will actually sort of start to, to disappear um, in time. Oh, I see. And so they become the triggers for the devaluation. It's that that is yes. being withheld. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so the next cycle, the next stage is devaluation. So can you can you tell tell, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, inevitably with the with the narcissistic cycle, um, the, the the way that it works is that that loving love bombing is unsustainable and won't continue. And what actually the narcissist gains the most pleasure from is making you feel uncomfortable and unhappy because it makes them feel even more superior. So once they've identified where your weaknesses lie and they've played to those and tried to sort of worm their way into those and, and become the means of propping you up by those insecurities, making you feel special and wonderful about yourself, then they'll start to pull those away, knowing that that's your main vulnerability and that's what's going to make you feel most disorientated and unhappy. So you're saying that they identify your vulnerabilities in that love bombing stage, but they prop you up and they say how marvellous you are to start with in those. So if exactly. you think, oh, I'm a bit fat, they'll say, no, you're not. You're marvellous. Mm. You've got the perfect body. Mm. Uh, but then those vulnerabilities will actually be tools used against you in the devalue stage. Precisely. So, so then as they start to devalue, they, they're going to say, oh, are you sure you want to eat another biscuit or a cake? Don't you think that perhaps that's starting to appear on your hips more than it should? Or I didn't know that you were a size this. I thought you were a size lower than that. Have, have you put on weight? And, and, and they'll be very subtle to start with. There'll be little mm. digs 
that just make you feel a bit off balance and think oh where did that yeah really sorry that that I was perfect and now suddenly I'm I perhaps need to go to the gym or or, or something similar and it's that heart sink feeling isn't it that, yeah. that's, that people should look out for in, in devaluation yeah. it, it's that it's that actual physical reaction there's there's an actual physical you know it, you have that expression that someone kicks you in the stomach Mm. Um, it actually can physically feel like that, that mm. there's something in the pit of your stomach that makes you feel um, almost slightly unwell. Um, it, it really is a physical reaction. Well, there's a gut-brain connection, isn't there? And I think mm. that's what it is, yeah. that without you consciously realising what it is, the, the old part of your brain has a connection to the gut. And so you literally get that feeling in your gut, that sinking mm. in your gut. Um, mm. and, and that's something to really be aware of because that's that's mm. for you if you can physically be aware you can sense the devaluation that way rather than actually cognitively thinking about it I think so that's something mm. for people mm. to sort of look out for yeah and as I said earlier it is very subtle so it will start off very gradually and it, it may be interspersed with a, a little bit of love bombing and gradually more and more devaluation so it won't be a light bulb change on one day it's it's much more subtle than that but as you rightly say once you start feeling mm-hmm. those sort of physical reactions and feeling you know, this this doesn't feel right and I think another thing to look out for is when initially you could do no wrong and now suddenly you start being unable to be right mm-hmm. and that there's there's criticism sometimes in a very pleasant way um, but gradually becoming less and less pleasant criticism of what you do perhaps criticism of how you look or what you cook or how you drive or um, how you deal with the children or who your friends are or what your job is or anything that that may be important to you just that constant feeling of of not being good enough and of course as the recipient of that behavior you can't understand where your soulmate went and you're desperate to go back to the love bombing stage to feel like you did when you were on that pedestal, when you were being showered with um, gifts, and and to go back to your um, the five languages of love, those methods of of expressing love that were important to you, that suddenly now have been taken away, mm. um, and so you're striving all the time to go back to to where you were, and you're constantly looking for approval and affirmation, and throughout the the devalue stage, that's just not going to be there. And you won't understand why. And they can use other people as well, can't they? So they don't necessarily have to say you're fat. They can say, oh, um, my sister thought you looked pregnant the other day. So they can sort mm. of quite mm. cleverly put the blame on someone else mm. so that they're completely, well, I don't mm. think you look pregnant, but everybody mm. else does, um, you know. Exactly. Um, so that they can be quite mm. clever about it. It's not necessarily them mm. accusing you of something or calling you names mm. or putting you down openly. Mm. Mm. But there's also the non-verbal ways that they do it. So they can give you silent treatments, and that's obviously devaluing. Mm. Being late mm. is a big one. Narcissists are so often late because they have a sense of entitlement. They're going to do that, so they can do that as a way of devaluing you, because making you wait makes you feel like you don't matter, and therefore it's a sort of devaluation. Even things like standing you up if you've agreed to meet when you speak, they might look bored, they might yawn, they might wince when you speak or when you make a joke or um, if you're um, at a dinner party and you say something, they might look embarrassed, they might not listen to you, so they might be 
checking their phone when you're talking to them. They might be watching TV when you're talking to them, when you're saying something really important to them. Even physical abuse is, is part of that sort of non-verbal devaluation. But but that's more unusual, I think, in narcissistic abuse, the mm. physical abuse. It can happen, but mostly it's covert emotional abuse. And it's it, and these devaluations are covert, like a silent dream is really quite covert. It's the absence of doing something and passive aggression as well. And also triangulation. Mm. That's a big one as well. So that's mm. a large part of narcissistic abuse is playing off people against each other. And again, it can be really, really subtle. You know, my new secretary's, she wears really lovely clothes. She, she dresses like, like I wish you would dress or, or why don't you have your hair cut um, into a bob like, like my secretary who's got an amazing haircut and I can tell you where she got it done if you like and all that sort of thing. It's very, very subtle, but you feel again, your heart sinking. And of course it can involve previous partners. So triangulation could be, oh, you know, my, my ex, didn't do this or really understood me or you know, when I was with my ex they would look after me differently or they wouldn't have behaved in this way if I'd done such and such and then you're competing against a, a, a sort of nebulous non-existent third party who you, do, who you maybe don't even know and can do nothing about um, and so it raises the specter of a, an almost non-existent third party mm. within the relationship um, and if that becomes upsetting and the narcissist senses that, then they'll often play on it more and more. And you'll mm. start to find that actually there's a there's a third non-existent individual in your relationship who's being constantly referred to as mm. a sort of a perpetual form of triangulation. Mm. And it doesn't even actually have to be a past or a romantic interest. It could be no. family members. Um, so you can mm. constantly be finding yourself triangulated with with one of their family members, for example, um, mm. or or even one of your family members, or one of your own. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it's subtle. It's not always oh you fancy someone else. Um, it, it's not always mm. that that simple. They can be incredibly mm. subtle. Mm. And once you've got to this place of of feeling like you're not enough, essentially, out of the blue, they can turn on the charm again they can they can turn on the love bombing or the idealization putting you back on that pedestal you never really get back I don't think to that first initial love bombing phase which is really full on mm. but you sort of seem to go down in the level so with every episode of love bombing it's almost like a sort of downward spiral mm. it's not like a circle it's a circle that's that's downwardly mm. spiraling so you're love bombed again but not to the level that you were previously and I think also you're you'll find that you'll be discarded more quickly. Mm. So the, the, the periods of time between the love bombing and the discard will be ever shorter because actually the narcissist finds the discard side more enjoyable and the love bombing sometimes a bit tedious. So they'll do it once they've got you in the spiral that you've identified. They will sort of inject a little bit of love bombing really just to, to put you even further off balance and to give you back what you're craving. Uh, but quickly mm. move to the devaluation stage and each time a little bit more quickly and it'll be a little bit worse. But I think also they can be unpredictable. So those cycles can go on for months and then the next day you can, you can have cycles within a day and then you can have weeks of the cycles sort of taking weeks to sort of complete. That can really throw you off balance because mm. it's the mm. unpredictability of the cycles, the, the lengths and the varying wins when you do go back to being love bombed. 
So it's, it's really tricky. And of course, that cycle is what causes trauma bonding. So you become neurochemically addicted to the narcissist. Mm. Uh, and that's why it's so difficult to leave a narcissist. So levels of neurochemicals in your mm. brain actually react to these unpredictable, mm. varying mm. cycles of love bombing, devaluation and possibly discard. Um, and so you just like with your phone, when you sort of get a, a little hit of dopamine, when your phone pings at you and you become addicted to your phone, it's a similar sort of cycle, the unpredictability mm. of it. Um, so you literally become addicted to that relationship with the narcissist and then you become completely unable to see them clearly and the reality of the relationship mm. clearly mm. because you're addicted yeah. and addicts don't see things clearly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so the circle goes on. And that is one of the things that is really important to identify if you're trying to work out at the beginning of, of a divorce or a separation whether your spouse really is a narcissist that's probably one of the biggest things to look for to, when thinking back was I put in this cycle of idealization devaluation and possibly get discard over and over again my brand new book narcissists in divorce from love locked to leaving is out now and is also available as an audiobook. And for more resources, please do visit my websites, thelifedoctor.org and drsapria.com.